Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Hey, we're going to start a new series today. Uh, For the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the letter to the Galatians. Um, Unless, of course, you guys want to keep talking about tithing. Anybody? No? Okay, no. Uh, No, we don't want to talk about tithing anymore. We want to talk about Galatians, and that's what God has put on our hearts uh, to share with you. Uh, And to get it started and just kind of use an illustration, I wanted to start with something that you probably, hopefully, have heard before. Let's see if you recognize it. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from from these honored dead... We take increased devotion to the cause which they gave their, their last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Anyone know what this is? Gettysburg Address. That's right. Who shared it? Who spoke this? Abraham Lincoln. Uh, during the Civil War, in, in one of the decisive victories of the, the war, the bloodiest battle, uh, a really dark moment in our nation's history, but a key moment that decided the course of our nation. I mean, if you imagine for a minute how the direction might have shifted of our country and our world uh, because of that battle. And Abraham Lincoln shares those words of, of what they were aiming to do. And we, who hopefully haven't been failed by our history teachers, know what the, the meaning is for that what the weight of those words carry. That this nation was founded on an idea that all men are created equal and we have freedom and equality everywhere. And that we have a responsibility for those people who have grown up in that nation and have benefited because we are part of that nation. We have a responsibility to carry on that fight because it's not done. We have a responsibility to carry on helping and fighting for equality and freedom. And that's something that Uh, We understand because as we listen to those words, it means something to us because we understand the history of the nation and what was going on at the time. That speech might mean something to other people, but it means more to us who know the story. It's the same thing as we go through the letter to the Galatians. We're going to be looking at the story of what's happening behind all of what Paul is writing. Uh, Because to understand the battle that Paul is going through helps us understand the words that he's writing and helps us understand our part to play in it, how we've been impacted by what he did. Uh, So we're going to be looking at Galatians, and I'm going to be explaining a lot of what's happening uh, during this time in the history of Christianity, so that we can better understand how the words impact our lives and what we are supposed to be doing to play a part in it. So uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the letter. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. 
Um, thank you for this, this words, these words that you've given us, and I thank you, Lord, for the direction uh, you've guided us to. I pray, Lord, that as we study this letter, that you can uh, guide us as we speak, as we share, guide us as we read, as we learn, um, work in our hearts and our minds, and help us uh, come away knowing and becoming um, better images of you to the world around us and help us understand the truth and the, and the, the essence of your gospel and, and what you have for us. Uh, just thank you, Lord. We give this time over to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, for Galatians, uh, this letter that Paul wrote, uh, we have to understand when it's being written and who it's being written and who's writing it, who is he writing to. Uh, so let's start there. Uh, I have this timeline that kind of shows uh, how things have worked out in Paul's life. So first, Paul is converted to Christianity around roughly around 34. These dates are always like a little bit speculative, so you can add or detract a little bit. Um, so 34, that's, that's pretty close to Jesus dying, and, and not too much later, Paul is converted to Christianity. He's on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians and is confronted by Christ. If you want to hear more of that story, Acts 9. Uh, so, and then... Uh, we find out other stuff goes on in his life. We actually find out because of Galatians, uh, which we'll talk about more. But then he starts missionary journeys, and you see the first, second, and third missionary journeys that Paul goes on. And eventually, he goes to Jerusalem, gets arrested, and is placed in, and finally lives out the rest of his years, most likely lives out the rest of his years in Rome. Uh, but you also see on the far right the timeline of his letters. And you notice, which one's the first one he writes? Galatians. So this is the first letter that Paul writes on his very first missionary journey. So this is, this is as close to like the real, raw, authentic version of, of Paul's letters. By the other letters, he's dealing with specific churches and other things, and he's, he's kind of gotten his, his preaching down so he knows how to write and everything else. But this is kind of that raw first attempt. It's also at the very beginning of his ministry, so people don't really know who he is yet. They don't really understand his story or what's going on in his life, so he has to establish a little bit of who he is in this letter, which we will see in a moment. Uh, so this is, this is the beginning. This is the first letter that Paul writes, uh, and he is writing it to the region of Galatia. And I have a map to kind of show uh, this region. You see, this is Galatia. Uh, so this isn't like his, church, his letters to Corinth or Ephesus, uh, this, or Colossae, this is a letter to a region of churches, a region of cities. Uh, instead of like Pullman, Washington, we're talking about Washington or even like the Palouse, you know, like it's a bigger area. Uh, so he's writing to this region uh, of, of cities and churches. And you'll notice that the blue arrow, that's the beginning of his missionary journey, and then the yellow arrow shows his return, that that's his first missionary journey. And so I think it's quite likely, this is my speculation, but it's, it's quite likely that he wrote this letter and was reading it himself to these churches because he's going to the region of Galatia and he's sharing with them all these things. So this is the beginning of Paul's ministry. Uh, we, we think we're pretty confident that this is the first letter, mainly because something happens in Acts 15, uh, the Jerusalem council meets and they discuss the very issue that Paul's going to be touching on, and yet he never mentions the Jerusalem Council. So it's most likely that it hasn't happened yet. Um, so anyway, that's, that's more or less the background of what's going on. Paul's on his first missionary journey. He is about to begin preaching, and he has this message that God has given him. Uh, he is called uh, mainly to preach to the Gentiles. That's just the way that it works out in his ministry. Uh, so 
He's already experiencing all these things, but this is the first time he's going to be writing about it. And this happens to be probably, no, almost certainly, this is the first written document of the New Testament. Uh, So it's just kind of cool. We don't really get a lot from this period in Christianity. So let's read it. Let's go through it. We're going to read first, and then I'll work through uh, verse by verse how that works out. All right. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul begins his letter like he begins all the rest of his letters by explaining who he is, but he, he elaborates a little bit more. Because again, this is his first time writing, and he is doing so on his first missionary journey. On all the other letters he's writing after he's already done a few missionary journeys, after he's already visited churches, after they already know who he is and his story has already been disseminated, this hasn't happened yet. So Paul has to establish credibility and, under, and help people understand who he is and why he's writing to them and why they should bother listening. And so Paul says he, has, he is an apostle. And uh, this is an important phrase because uh, according to the beginning of Acts, the only people that were qualified to become like full-fledged apostles were people that had been discipled by Jesus and walked with Jesus, seen his miracles, and had seen the resurrected Jesus. That's how they, de- they determine who's going to take Judas's spot, is who's, who's qualified to do that. And that's how they determine who's qualified to be an apostle. So Paul calling himself an apostle is, is a significant thing because while we can understand he's seen the resurrected Jesus when he was on the road to Damascus, uh, he was confronted by Jesus, Paul, Paul, why are you, well, Saul, Saul, why are, you dis, why are you persecuting me? He's seen the resurrected Jesus, but he never really was trained by Jesus. Uh, there's no account of that. And so it's interesting that he says that, but according to Paul, he believes that he is qualified to be an apostle and he has been trained by Jesus, which we'll get more to in a sec. But the one thing he wants to make very clear is that this isn't some, a title that's given to him by man. Uh, he doesn't want anyone to think that somebody was like, okay, Paul, we, we dubbed the apostle. You know, it wasn't like that. Uh, it's that he has received it the, the way that all the other apostles have received it through Jesus, directly from Jesus. Uh, and he, he, that's where the, his credibility comes from. And then he says, grace and peace to the churches of Galatia, all those, the churches in that region, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a common phrase that Paul uses, and it greets both Jews and Gentiles. Grace, charis, is a, is a, a Greek form of greeting. And then shalom, peace, is a Hebrew form of greeting. And Paul is greeting both Jews and Gentiles in that one phrase. Um, and he uses that quite often. And then in verse 4, uh, he mentions Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to deliver us. And just like a good uh, pastor, preacher, Paul decides to sneak in the gospel everywhere he can. Uh, and so he, he writes in there who Jesus is and what he has done. Let's move on. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? 
Or am I trying to please am, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to the, the churches in Galatia, and he is astonished that something is happening. Something is going on uh, in the region of Galatia and probably more over like lots of the world at the time uh, that people are deserting the grace of Christ, that they're walking away from the grace of Christ. And you might think, why would anyone do that? Well, there's something going on that's causing these Galatians to turn away from the gospel and they're turning to a different gospel. Uh, And Paul is very clear that there's not two different gospels. There's one gospel, uh, but they're turning away to a different version or a different method. uh, And the word he uses is that they are being distorted. The gospel is being distorted. And that word metastrepho in Greek, it means inside out or reversed. It doesn't just mean like, oh, it's kind of the gospel, slightly off. You know, it's just like the gospel adjacent. You know, like that's not what it is. It's, It's the opposite. It's reversed. It's backwards. Uh, And so he wants to make uh, clear that they are following the wrong gospel. It's going the wrong direction. It's it's inside out. It's distorted. Uh, And so that's what's going on to these people, and he's astonished by it. And he wants to make clear, he gives a double curse here. He wants to make clear that the gospel is the gospel, and anyone who's adding to it or detracting from it or or changing it, distorting it, uh, let them be accursed. That even if an angel appears... And starts preaching something that's contrary, that's, that's different, that's a distorted form of the gospel, let, let them be a curse. Even angels don't escape this curse if you're preaching something that's not the gospel. I think that's important to remember. So I, I give you my pastoral approval that if an angel ever appears to you and starts preaching something other than the gospel, you can tell them to go to hell. Anyway, um, I, you, you heard me say it. Yeah, I give you that approval. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's this, this double curse saying that nobody is supposed to preach something different, that this gospel is the gospel, and that's the important thing, that it's not a matter of who's teaching or who's preaching, it, it's mattering what they're preaching, and what they're preaching has to be the gospel, and if it's not the gospel, it's distorted, it's reversed, it's backwards. So, then he moves on to say, I am, am I now? He asks these questions. Paul likes to ask questions when he's uh, writing letters, and he says, am I now trying to approve, uh, achieve, seek the approval of man or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I like that he says, uh, if I was still doing that, uh, I would not be a servant of Christ. Um, the gospel offends. Like, this is one of the things that he, he wants to make very clear. I, I heard this recently at a conference. It was pretty funny. Um, it's like, if you're, if you're preaching in a manner that's, that's uh, aligning with the left, you'll, you'll offend the right, you know? And if you're preaching in a manner that's aligned with the right, you'll offend the left. If you're preaching the gospel, you'll offend everybody. So <laughs> that's, that's more or less what Paul's getting at here, is that the gospel is something that should, should impact everybody's life. And we should all wrestle with it. And it should all, there's a part of the gospel that I think all of us will be uncomfortable with. Uh, so Paul is, is preaching this gospel, and he's explaining that everyone, it's not about pleasing man, uh, it's about giving or sharing what God has given him. And that's, again, just like his apostleship, he's explaining that this gospel isn't his, it's Christ. 
And it was revealed to him, not by other people. It's not like he sat down with Peter and Peter taught him. It's not like he sat down with Barnabas and Barnabas taught him. No, he sat down with Christ and Christ revealed it to him. And we'll explain that a little more in a moment. Uh, Let's keep reading. We're going to read the rest and then I'll work back through it. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to to do was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, are only, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So Paul, again, this is his first letter. This is his first missionary journey. He's establishing credibility, letting people know a little bit about who he is, where he comes from, and why he is doing what he's doing now. And what his mission, why he's, he's helping people understand um, what he's at, he's at work to do, that he's fighting a battle. Uh, and so he starts that by establishing credibility. The first thing he does, the first thing he says is, you remember me? I'm the guy that killed Stephen. Remember? Hi. <laughs> it's this awkward moment where he's, he's establishing credibility by letting them know how he persecuted and, and was trying to destroy the church. That's where he starts. Wouldn't make a lot of sense if you want people to like you or want to listen to you. But one of the things you have to understand is what Paul is doing here is he's not establishing credibility for himself. He's establishing credibility for the grace of Christ. And there's no better example of the grace of Christ than Paul. Because who, who better to be used by God than a murderer who tried to destroy the church? He's explaining that there's credibility to the grace of Christ, not himself. He's not trying to take the credibility. He's not trying to get people to listen to him. He wants people to listen to the message and the gospel. And so he, he explains that he, what he did and that he was this extremely zealous Jewish brother that was advancing well beyond his age and uh, was persecuting the church until Jesus, in his grace, confronts him and gives him a new purpose. Um, it's, it's, it's always been interesting to me. Just that it, it doesn't seem like actually that big of a shift. Like it's, it's a completely different direction for Paul to go. But he was still charging full speed either way he went. He was going to zealously persecute the church because that's what he believed God wanted him to do. And then he's confronted by Jesus and realizes, no, that's in fact not what God wants me to do. So he changed the direction and sprints the other way and says, no, okay, then if this is what you want me to do, God, I'm going to do it with everything I have. And that's what Paul's, the rest of Paul's life looks like. And he begins preaching to the Gentiles. Uh, but then 
before he goes to, like after all this stuff, he's confronted by Jesus and he's receiving this, this gospel and this passion, this call in his heart. You'd think the first thing he'd do is go talk to other people about it or, or just go and start doing it. But no, he decides to take three years, three years to just separate himself. And so he goes to Arabia and Damascus and he spends three years away from everyone. And it's in these three years that, we, that it seems reasonable to believe that he's decompressing everything that he has known. I mean, if you think about it, like that, that conversion story, we, we read about it in Acts and then you see him converted and then Paul kind of disappears for a little bit and then he comes back and he's leading these missionary journeys. You're like, what happened? Well, this is what happened. And it wasn't immediate. He didn't just go from like persecuting the church and having this mission to all of a sudden being the preacher and teacher that he was. He didn't go to writing most of the New Testament immediately. He spent some time to work through it. Emotionally, he probably had to work through it. Mentally, he probably had to work through it. Like, oh, shoot. All the people that I killed, all the people that I imprisoned, all the people that I beat, all of those things that I was approving of and and excited about were horrible. Absolutely horrible. It probably takes him a while to wrestle through that. He probably has to like work through, okay, what, what is this? What, what does this even mean? And, and so uh, also he, he, as a Jew, as a Pharisee, uh, he, was, he studied scripture and now he has a new idea that all of that scripture pointed to Jesus and, and he's confronted by that. And so now he has to relearn scripture through the lens of Christ. And so I think it's in that, those three years that this gospel, that Jesus is training him and teaching him, that maybe he, Jesus didn't just directly appear, but he spent time studying scripture and praying and being alone with God so that he could be ready to be, be useful to God and serve God. And notice after that three years, after God has been uh, working in his heart and in his mind to help uh, develop the gospel and the passion that he has in his heart, the first thing he does is go to Jerusalem and visit Peter and James. Cephas, that's Peter. And so he goes to the Jerusalem church and encounters the leaders of the church and, and talks with them for 15 days. This is an important moment. This is an important and significant thing that Paul, who is a zealous Jew, knows scripture very well, spends three years learning and growing and praying and and seeing the gospel from a different lens. And rather than go out and immediately preach that because he feels, you know, I've been changed by God. I have this story. I'm going to go arrogantly go preach the gospel all on my own. I don't care what anyone else thinks. No, he humbly submits to the authority of the church at the time. He goes and talks to Peter and James and says, hey, God's been revealing something to me. What do you think? I want, I want to be useful, but I, I want to also be honoring of, of what God has done in your lives. It's an important moment, an important thing for us to understand. I think uh, we get in a mindset that if, if God gives you a calling, you must immediately do this. But I think it's okay if every once in a while, uh, actually all of the time, if you want to run that by another believer you trust. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea to recognize that the Holy Spirit that's inside of me is also inside of you. And... We should work together and have the humility to listen and hear from each other. That's, uh, that's what Paul did. Even though Paul was this great man and knew so much, he still wanted to humbly submit to the leaders at the time. Uh, so he spends 15 days with Peter and James, uh, and Peter's going to come back up uh, in a little bit in the book. But uh, James is an interesting figure, and I really like James's uh, place here. One for starters, I found out this week that, uh, well, not this week, but we've been doing a Bible study together with the pastors and as we were like studying to preach from this. 
Uh, one of the things that came up is that there's some debate about which, this James, which James this James is. That's a confusing phrase. First of all, the name James in Greek uh, could also be Jacob, so it could be Jacob instead. Uh, but pretty common name at the time, and uh, we know of a few Jameses. One, James, the brother of John, one of the disciples. Uh, another James in the disciples, you may not remember him because he's not mentioned very often, but James, son of Altheus, he's also a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and then there's James, half-brother of Jesus, who, you know, Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus, and James is thought to be one of the oldest of amongst them. And so uh, what we know is in Acts, there is a James that arises to, like, lead the Jerusalem church, uh, and he's an important figure in the church at the time. He actually, in Acts 19, uh, talks with Paul when Paul's coming back to Jerusalem. And he says, hey, Paul, you've been preaching to the Gentiles. That's great. You've been living amongst the Gentiles. I, I love it. But here's the deal. You're coming back to the Jews. You need to go through the pur- purification process because they're not going to respect you. They're not going to listen to you unless you respect them and the way you were raised. And so Paul does. He goes through the purification process because he listens and, and submits to what James has to say. So uh, James is leading the Jerusalem church. He also is almost certainly the same James that wrote the book of James. Um, and so it's the same James. I don't know which one it is. I, I've always grown up believing that it's the half-brother of Jesus uh, because that's kind of what it says there. Uh, but that word could also mean relative. doesn't have to, have to specifically mean brother, so it could be the disciple James, the other disciple James, you know. Um, So, I don't know, but regardless, it's the same guy. It's the same leader of the Jerusalem church, is the same one that we're seeing here, is the same one that wrote the book of James. And the reason why I like that is because there's this kind of contrast between Paul and James. They They have this thing. Paul, in his main message over and over again in his letters, is all about the foundation of Christianity is faith. And we need to have faith in the grace of God, and that's it. That's, what we, that's all we need to be talking about. That's all that's important. That's the necessary ingredient that we start our, our relationship with God on his grace and just by believing in it, and that's it. But James is like, yeah, that's great, Paul, but we still got to obey, and we still got to do good stuff. You ever have this conversation with somebody where you're like going back and forth, where you're the one that's like, but this is the most important part. And the other person's like, yeah, but that's great. I'm not disagreeing with you, but we also got to say this. And it's like, I'm not, neither one of you are disagreeing with each other, but you're both emphasizing a different part of it. And that's, Peter, that's Paul and James's relationship. Paul wants to emphasize the grace of Christ, and that's the foundation of relationship with him. And James wants to emphasize that, yet based on that relationship, faith without works is dead. And so you have to obey. And so it might have to do with who they're preaching to. Peter or Paul is preaching to the Gentiles who he wants to make very clear, like, hey, you don't have to observe the law to be part of God's family. And uh, James, who's probably dealing with a lot of Jewish people that are like, oh, we don't have to, we can eat bacon now? And then they're going crazy. They're going to doing all this stuff. And, and, and maybe James is like, well, hang on, reel it in a little bit. We still have to obey and still follow God and glorify him. So... Maybe that's the tension. I don't know. That's all speculation. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a cool moment where he's mentioning James, uh, and then he says he went to Syria and Cilicia. He began to preach, and people still didn't really know who he was. They were like, wait, isn't this the guy that was preaching? He fell off the face of the earth for three years, so like, we don't really know what happened. But wasn't he the one pers- persecuting the church? And they glorified God because of him. And again, notice that, that 
Paul is not trying to establish this credibility for himself. He's not trying to bring God glory because of how great he is. He's trying to bring God glory because of how great God is. And so he, he's loving this moment where they're recognizing all his sins and all his failures. Take that in for a sec. That one of the best messages Paul has for people is his mistakes. And people are glorifying God because of them. What a cool thing uh, for Paul to humbly accept. And then in the very beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then after 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem. Uh, just, I just want to highlight that for a second, because between the three years and the 14 years, we understand that now there's 17 years, 17 years before Paul begins his first missionary journey and writes his letters. 17 years. So if you're expecting to be converted to Christianity and immediately go be Paul and preach the gospel. And that's great. I love the enthusiasm, but Paul takes some time to learn and grow. And that's based on, he already knew scripture pretty well before he was even converted. So I just, let's unbury our burdens of this idea that we have to save everyone immediately as soon as we receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, We can be... We can t- take time and, and learn and grow and then uh, be taught by others. And, and then after some time, God will use us. So it, it took 17 years for Paul. I, I, I think it's okay if, if you allow God to work in your life for a significant amount of time too. Um, just if that was hanging over your head. All right, so this is what's happened. This is the story as it is so far so that we can keep working through this uh, as, as we go on. That Paul has been converted by Christ, who's encountered, he was on mission to destroy the church, and now Jesus encounters him in Acts 9 and says, stop, you're actually persecuting me. And so he's turned, he changes directions, that's called repenting, uh, and he changes directions and he starts beginning to help try to build the church. But first, he spends three years off on his own, learning and growing and, and praying and being with God. Uh, and then after that time, he goes and he shares what he's learned with the apostles, with Peter and James, and spends time with them to learn and see, like, hey, how does this sound? What does this mean? And please help me. And, and it, from what we understand, he's on the right track, that they are agreeing with the direction that God has, is taking in his life. And then uh, he's sent, after 14 years, he's sent on a missionary journey with Barnabas to go around and encourage and help and support the churches. And it's during that time that he decides to write a letter because he's encountering this issue all over the place, um, this different distorted gospel that he keeps running into. And so he decides to write this letter in response to that. That's, that's what's going on in this story. So what is this distorted gospel? What is this battle? Well, we're going to spend the next five weeks talking more about that. Paul is, at least. Um, but I wanted to just present it to you now to, so you can understand where we're going and why we're going there. Uh, this distorted gospel, this backwards, inside-out gospel, is this uh, idea that a lot of the Jewish people at the time were emphasizing to Gentiles that if they wanted to be part of the family of God, children of Abraham, to fully become Christians and part of that family, they had to first become circumcised and take on the whole law. So in essence, Gentiles had to become Jews first to become Christians. 
And so that's, that's the battle that's going on. That's the distorted gospel. And the reason why Paul believes that this is backwards and inside out is because the emphasis isn't on the grace of Christ and the foundation isn't on the grace of Christ. No, the emphasis and foundation are actually on works, what you do, that you have to first do something to earn the grace of Christ. And Paul wants to make it abundantly clear that's not what the gospel is. That's not what grace is. That our relationship with God isn't founded on what you do, that you don't do an act to receive the grace of God. No, you receive the grace of God, and out of that grace, you are changed by that grace, and you live out a life that glorifies God. That's the order of the gospel, and Paul begins this battle here to, in his letter to the Galatians, and he continues this battle over and over again and wants to really emphasize this point, and I believe God gives him so much room in the New Testament to share it because it's very important. It's extremely important that we don't get this wrong and we don't get this backwards. That if Paul doesn't fight this battle and if Paul doesn't passionately pursue the Gentiles, then maybe he doesn't write all this stuff and help us understand that the gospel isn't about doing something to earn something like every other religion that ever has existed. It's about the grace of God coming and changing us, giving, given to us freely, and we are changed by it and live out what a glorified life looks like. We're sanctified by it. This is what... Paul is at work to do, that the foundation of the gospel that God has given to him is that it's grace, and it's based on Christ, not us. There's no human effort that can make you earn it. You will never earn it. And this is important, because this is what I, I was thinking as I was visualizing this. I feel like sometimes, and this is why it's important for us today, because this battle is going on, and you know, we don't, I'm not going to ask who's circumcised in this room. No, that's not, we don't need to know. You know, we don't need it. That's not the battle. That's not the focus. And if you were reading this letter to the Galatians, you might think that that's what this is all about, whether or not you're circumcised. And the ladies in the room are like, what does that mean for me? You know, like that. But that's not the point. You see, as we understand the story, what Paul's after is that, yeah, circumcision is the issue in that day, but our issue is still stuff like that today where we still feel like we have to earn something in our relationship with God before we can receive grace. And Paul would say, no. There's not an amount of people you need to lead in, in a sinner's prayer. There's not an amount of people that you need to have discipled. There's not, there's not amount in anything that you're thinking that you have to have meet some kind of requirement to receive the grace of Christ. None of it. In fact, the only requirement is nothing. You bring nothing to it. What ends up happening in our relationship with God is we're carrying all these things. And yeah, we receive grace and it sounds great at first, but then we start to take on like, okay, now I have a responsibility to live this out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing good things. I'm going to start being a good person. And we start collecting all this stuff and we're like, go to the throne or to the cross of Christ and go like, look at all the things I have. I've earned it now. It's like, Don't, didn't you listen at the beginning? You, you, that's not what it's all about. In fact, you're actually limiting yourself from holding on to grace because you're holding on to all this good stuff that you think you've done that means nothing. It's great. Good job, but... What you're here for is the grace. So set all that stuff down. You bring nothing to this table. I bring everything, and you have to live. And it's an uncomfortable relationship. I don't know about you, but that's uncomfortable for me. As a human being, I like transactional relationships. I like knowing that I'm even with people and I'm square. I will never be square with God. It's uncomfortable, but we have to embrace that uncomfortability to know that 
our salvation, our, the redemption that we have received in Christ isn't based on us. It will never be based on us. We will never earn it. It is given to us freely by Christ and his grace. That's where our relationship is founded. And that's this battle that Paul is going to be working through and we're going to be reading for the next five weeks. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.